Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Caitlin. I feel infinite. Do you feel infinite? Um, okay. <laughs> um, no, but okay. glad you're having a nice time. Seems like maybe you've had a pot brownie, but like, maybe it's your first time doing this. Yeah, yeah. It'll it feel is. that way. <laughs> oh my God. I texted you this, Caitlin, when we were, <laughs> this is very dark, but, um, first of all, I am a recent Pittsburgh, like obsessive i love pittsburgh i went for the first time last month and i'm just like pittsburgh's amazing so i was happy to see pittsburgh however mm. every time they're standing up in that damn tunnel i'm waiting for like a hereditary moment i was like this is <laughs> so like emma watson's head is gonna burst off you know yeah i couldn't stop the i rewatched hereditary recently and that's on me but like every oh. time they would st- i was like you I, I went full it's so fun watching teen movies now that you're like now that i'm like aunt aged and i'm just like don't mm. you're gonna you're gonna get hurt kids stop <laughs> um i loved yeah. that scene this movie is so corny i love it <laughs> uh, yeah all right welcome to the Bechdel <laughs> cast my name is jamie loftus my name is caitlin durante and this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechdel test as a jumping off point to initiate larger conversations. But Jamie, uh-huh. what even is that? Oh, well, I can tell you. Okay. Uh, the Bechdel test was created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechdel, sometimes called the Bechdel-Wallace test. Uh, it was originally uh, written as a one-off joke, a bit in uh, Alison Bechdel's comic collection, Dykes to Watch Out For, but has since become a metric that people use to... Um, to see how much uh, movies are interested in men. 
So there's a lot of different versions of this test. The version we use requires that two people of a marginalized gender with names speak to each other about something other than a man for more than two lines of dialogue. I guess not people. It could be cartoon squirrels. I don't know why I said people. I feel like that's really putting movies in a box because then car what about cars what about cars and that's a question that only we are brave enough to ask yeah so i apologize for my misspeaking uh not just people anyways that's what the bechdel test is yeah also not to derail us but um your mention of cartoon squirrels reminded me of our episode on National Treasure, which I recently re-listened to in anticipation of, I don't know, maybe are we going to cover National Treasure 2? It's almost like you texted me about it yesterday and and I didn't answer right away. And then you're like, bump. I was like, oh my God. I was like, please answer me right now. We have to do it. But the joke we kept making in the first National Treasure episode was about how Justin Bartha is basically a cartoon squirrel like disney animal sidekick person we were right about that yeah we were right about that i think even honestly justin bartha would agree would agree and maybe even be flattered i hope (laughs) i have not i'm you know i'm pro bartha it's true you are (laughs) i always have been well that didn't pass the bechdel test no it didn't no it did Uh, not oops (laughs) not even close uh and today we have uh we have Two exciting uh, bits of news. We have a Bartholus movie, and mm-hmm. we have uh, an amazing guest. We sure do. I'm better than Justin Bartha. That's so nice. <laughs> better than Bartha. Ooh, new shirt incoming. <laughs> Seems a little mean-spirited, but it's true. Well, I also think he might agree with that. I know. I, I like that we have decided that Justin Bartha is very humble. <laughs> That's just how we... <laughs> characterized him in our that's headcanon for the Bechtel cast Justin Bartha humble, humble. King. yeah maybe that's the merch yeah yeah design sure <laughs> anyway but he could Justin Bartha not to do the Alfred Molina game but Justin Bartha could have played the the Paul Rudd character in this movie oh easily. sure Bartha I mean not that he should have I feel like Paul Rudd cool teacher is like this movie uh, I'm so excited to talk about it because it is like so 2012 even though it takes place in 1991 you're Mm -hmm. like this is the most 2012 movie that's ever come out where like Emma Watson can do an American accent Paul Rudd Uh cool teacher like just (laughs) there she can't do an American for folks who can't see me I did like a (laughs) so-so movement Oh, uh, Emma Watson, you know, what What can I say? Yeah. Um, okay. Also, I think uh, the word Alfred Molina turns up in the history of like the search engine for Bechtel cast like 109 times or something like that. <laughs> That's good. so cool. <laughs> what I hear when you say that is could be higher, could be more. <laughs> yeah. And we've still and got time. you're going to get it higher. Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, let's get to work on that. Yeah. In the meantime, the movie today is The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Our guest is a religious, black, multiracial, non-binary suicide survivor who is currently the seventh poet laureate of Portland, Maine. Yeah. Air debut collection, Judas and Suicide, is available now via 
Game Over Books. Maya was one of three artists of color selected to represent Maine in the Kennedy Center's Arts Across America series in 2020. They recently published essays in venues such as The Daily Beast, Black Girl Nerds, Honey Literary, and The The Rumpus. Maya was also selected as one of the Advocates Champions of Pride in 2022, and you can follow more of their work at mayawilliamspoet.com. It's Maya Williams! Welcome! (laughs) Thank you! Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love, I love listening to y'all so, so much. Y'all have gotten me through so many, so many drives and just so much. And y'all are hilarious and y'all are brilliant. Um, and thank you. And also, Jamie, Ghost Church. Oh my gosh, yeah. obsessed. <laughs> thank you. Oh, oh my goodness, I, you're so welcome. The the only good thing to happen in Florida, kind of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're so happy you're here. And I'm happy to be here. We've been planning this for a bit. Mm-hmm. So we're covering perks of being a wallfire flower. Wallfire, wallflower. <laughs> long, long, long time requests from our listeners. Mm-hmm. Amazing! Um, I did not know that. Yeah, I feel like this is like a late millennial classic. Oh, nice! Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, so it's. Oh, now we get to hear me say someone's last name for the first time. Uh, written and directed by Stephen Chabosky. That was my best guess. Yes, Chabosky, yeah. Let's go with that. And he also wrote the book. So I think it's, it's, I feel like that's very rare where you get an adaptation where it's like, well, it's just this guy. And uh, and (laughs) usually it like switches hands. So I think it's like really interesting. So uh, Maya, what's your history with The Perks of Being a Wallflower, the movie, the book, the expanded universe? My history with it, um, I read the book when I was in high school. I watched the movie and I remember like watching the commentaries as like a teenager too. Mm-hmm. Um, and Whoa. and like being so, yeah, I was so obsessed with it at the time. <laughs> and then like while writing my poetry collection, Judas and Suicide, I've been re- revisiting a lot of the movies that, that first brought up suicidality for, for me in a formative way. So then I rewatched this movie, rewatched the commentaries and everything. And I'm like, hmm, 27 year old me still loves this. And also, huh <laughs> fuck charlie uh <laughs> fuck patrick mm. so i'm really excited to dive in yeah <laughs> yes here we go yeah there's oh there's there's so much going on in this damn movie <laughs> jamie what's your relationship with it uh, i really didn't have much of a relationship with this movie weirdly i think it's like a micro micro generational thing where this came out like when i was early in college and i think i was like i'm i caitlin i feel like you've talked about this for different movies of like i'm in college now i don't watch movies about high schoolers Mm -hmm. and so i missed this movie i didn't i didn't see it and then i just kind of never got around to watching it and then by the time I thought to watch it I was like I don't want to watch a movie with Ezra Miller in it right but it's I I, I read was I think last year was the 10-year anniversary of this movie and I saw a lot written about it sort of as a retrospective and uh, I'm really excited you brought us this movie because I feel like this movie is doing a lot and it's also not doing a lot it's a it's a pretty fascinating uh thing I mean I what I will say is I I enjoyed this movie based on it's just like raw sincerity and like I feel like there's especially with movies that are like this 
boldly sincere people will always kind of dunk on them but yeah i like that i feel like that's teen movies should be wildly sincere Mm -hmm. uh from time to time that's okay it's just the other stuff that we have to talk about right Mm -hmm. but yeah i i uh i generally enjoyed this movie and i think it's very interesting to watch with 2023 goggles on i know that if i had seen this movie when i was 12 i would have lost my shit yeah Mm mm-hmm Caitlin, what's your history with this movie? Had you seen it before? I had, yes. Uh, I think, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. I have never read the book, but this is a book mm-hmm. that everyone I went to high school with and everyone I went to college with talked about it incessantly. And I don't know if it was a regional thing because I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. Oh, right. And Pittsburgh mm. is the closest major city to where I'm from. Wow. And I went to Penn State for undergrad uh, and did get a bachelor's degree in film and television, something that I actually never mentioned. <laughs> but <laughs> because it's such a Pennsylvania centric movie and there's a lot, there's lots of references. Like when she's like, you have to go to the diner and get grilled stickies. I was like, you do have to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, I just never bothered with the book. I don't know why. And then the movie came and went and I was like well into adulthood. So I was like, I don't need to be watching coming of age stories. I've mm. already done that. Mm. So I'm perfect. <laughs> I've <Wow>. done it. <laughs> but then a few years ago I watched it. And then when I started rewatching it for this episode, I realized that every memory I have of this movie is actually from Edge of Seventeen. Oh. <laughs> I think I watched them around the same time and they there's I feel like they're similar Mm. coming of age like high school movies though I did see this one I just didn't remember anything from it so not much of an attachment to it except for the reference to grilled stickies and the several references to Olive Garden (laughs) I mean truly this movie is doing things that others are not. <laughs> the Olive Garden reference representation is at an all-time high. It's true in this movie. And I also, I mean, not that this is like, a, but I, I was like, how many movies take place in Pittsburgh? It's just like yeah. not a lot. The dad is a Penguins fan. It's kind of yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, and also, I, I guess for listeners, this episode and and this movie if you haven't seen it before um yeah there there will be talk about um suicidality as well as child sex abuse um in the space mm-hmm. of this which i did not see coming uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie i watched i mean i usually watch stuff twice for for the show but like i definitely had to watch this movie twice mm-hmm. to go back and and watch it with that knowledge and mm-hmm. I don't know we have we have so much to talk about but yes. just uh if those are sensitive issues for you that's going to come up in this episode for sure mm-hmm. um let's take a quick break and then come right back for the recap mm-hmm. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Okay. So the movie is set in the early 90s in a suburb of Pittsburgh. Ever heard of it? Yeah. We Pittsburgh number one fan. (laughs) Heinz Ketchup Factory. What a moment. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Buy Raw Dog now by Jamie Loftus. Exactly. I was disappointed that they didn't mention how close they were to a ketchup factory the whole movie, but um, yeah, major oversight. <laughs> something to think about for next time. <laughs> we meet Charlie, played by Logan Lerman. He is writing a letter to someone we don't know who, and I think we never find out, right? Right. Yeah. Well, in the commentary, Stephen Chabosky says, uh, so for the book, he wants to keep dear friend personal to him mm-hmm. uh, but for the movie dear friend is you as in the viewer the audience Ooh. and my and my emotional ass cried this movie's so corny i love it (laughs) it is like pure american cheese white american American cheese cheese. it is american cheese yeah oh god very white yeah emphasis on the white there is only one black actor and he does not speak Mm -mm. i was Mm -mm. i uh that I feel like that is also a very 2012 instinct to be like, sure, we can have a like an openly queer character, but then we'll have to hedge our bets by making sure every cast member is white. And you're like, no, you don't have to do that. Uh, Or you could just make a movie like you could just cast a movie to look like a place that exists. Well, but But, then they were like, but it's 2012. Which uh, you can tell from the weird. Oh, my God. I had really... I don't know what a troubled time in youth fashion the early 2010s was where you're seeing like I was like why were we wearing these like little sweaters that were for grandmas but they were actually for teenagers it was so confusing how femme teenagers were just walking around in these little sweaters (laughs) yes what a moment <laughs> but again it was set, it's set in the early 90s so sh- it should be like 90s fashion i don't know i know but i was like 
that's a 2012 little sweater. I know that damn sweater. Sure. It is not warm. Mm. <laughs> okay, so he's writing a letter explaining how he spent some time in the hospital. He alludes to some mental health issues. He says he doesn't really have any friends, but tomorrow is his first day of high school and he's hoping to turn things around. So he goes to school. His sister Candace and her boyfriend Nina Dobrev, you're just like mm-hmm. <gasps> Vampire Diaries, Degrassi, I could go on. Mm-hmm. Diet wine. <laughs> I think that's what she's doing right now. Uh so Candace and her boyfriend Derek, aka Ponytail Derek, aka Nicholas Braun. Yeah, AKA cousin. cousin Greg from Succession, AKA recently disgraced actor Nicholas Braun. Yes. Not only is he a piece of shit, it's not the first time he's played a character named Derek because he also played Derek in Zola. Mm, that's oh. right. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I always forget he's in that movie. Wow. Yeah, he plays a guy named Derek a lot. Gee whiz. Anyways. <laughs> you, hate, you hate to see it. Yeah. Okay, so, so his sister and Derek won't let Charlie sit with them at lunch because it's the Earth Club is for seniors only, and he's a freshman, and he's a loser. Uh, also, his friend from middle school and his older brother's friend, Brad, both ignore Charlie. Mm-hmm. So his attempts to make friends is not working. Then in shop class, he meets Patrick, played by Ezra Miller, uh, who is a senior who is picking on a teacher rather than freshmen, as the other seniors tend to do. So Charlie immediately likes Patrick. Quick comment on, um, and we'll just circle back and acknowledge Ezra Miller's stuff a little later in the episode. Yeah. But the actor playing Brad, I was like losing it. I was like, what? I've oh. seen this person. I've seen this person. And it's Did because you it's it young Neil from yes. Scott Pilgrim. Correct. And Chip from Jennifer's Body. Kind yes. of a, a camp uh-huh. hero. Yes. This guy. True. His name's Johnny Simmons. Mm-hmm. Good for him. He's the kid Ooh, who, yes. he's the kid who dies in the beginning of 21 Jump Street. Oh, oh my god wow what a legacy what <laughs> not a to brag life. but i have 21 and 22 jump street on dvd hey! so <laughs> thoughts brave. brave thank you i i still have not i've seen 21 i haven't seen 22 but people love those movies i think they're very funny although a cab includes 21 jump street it, ju- yes, it, it does. does yes it does it sure does it does Anyways, anyway, yeah, what, what, a, what a career, Johnny Simmons. <laughs> yep. So then Charlie goes to English class with his teacher, Mr. Paul Rudd. Oh my God. Char- Paul Rudd grew out his hair and is like, to kill a bonky bird, ever heard of it? And you're like, this is a lot. <laughs> yes. This is so teen movie. <laughs> Charlie knows all of the answers to Mr. Paul Rudd's questions, but he doesn't participate because he's so shy. He's a wallflower. <laughs> Then at home, we meet his mom and dad, played by Kate Walsh and Dylan McDermott, who reassure him that he is going to make friends. Then at a football game, Charlie approaches Patrick. They chat. They become friendly. Charlie also meets Sam, played by Emma Watson. They do this shot. Or I mean, again, yeah, just like, like a halo shot. Of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, I, I just want to uh, really embrace and point out this movie's beautiful corniness where, yeah, the first shot Emma Watson's in, she's framed like she's 
God. <laughs> and there's all these shots where she's like, oh, it's just so um, it's it's weird because I would say she's not really a not like other girls character because we know a fair amount about her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's like characterized pretty well. But the way she's framed is definitely not like other girls characters. Here's what I wrote in my notes. Calm pixie dream girl. Because she's not very well, manic. She's, she's pretty calm, but she is a pixie dream girl. She's definitely, I mean, the pixie's there, the dream girl's there. But yeah, she's a pretty, she's pretty chill. Chill pixie dream girl. Yeah. Yeah. Also, her first line of dialogue is something like, I have a question. Oh my God. Could there be anything more disgusting than the bathrooms or something like that? And I'm like, are you Chandler and from Friends? Like, well, like wh- ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Emma Watson's American accent. It's... <laughs> She's trying it out, and we have to deal with it. The Harry Potter... It gets better in Little Women. It gets better in Little Women. It does women. get better in Little Women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give her seven years. She'll figure it out. Give her seven years. There's also... Like, she's very... Like, she's, like, young in this movie. I'm mm-hmm. I'm only dunking on her because I would dunk on any of the three main characters in Harry oh, Potter. All of their American accents are bad. Um, yes. Especially... Oh, my God. Sorry. This is off the rails today. But... Um, <laughs> Rupert Grint in Knock at the Cabin. Oh, oh yeah. my God. They made his character from Boston for some reason. And he's like no. blowing it. He's like, <laughs> I don't know why they were like, not only are you doing an American accent, it's like the most difficult regional accent to do. Yeah. And he's like, I'm from Waltham. And you're like, oh, God, this is brutal. I loved it. It's like when Anya Taylor-Joy, who speaks English with a British accent, was yeah. from... Brockton. Brockton, right? Yeah. I know. Yeah. Anya, I, it, that was a big moment for my hometown. People thinking that Anya Taylor-Joy might be from there. Um, <laughs> what was that movie again? Some, the Menu. On the menu. Right. The Menu. Hot Girl Cheeseburger. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Emma yes. Emma Watson is a uh, chill pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. She's wearing her sweaters. She's doing her American accent. And the movie is like, you're in love with her. So you're like, all right. Yes, indeed. So Patrick and Sam invite Charlie to hang out with them after the football game. They talk about music. Oh my God. Char- the part where, where Patrick's like, oh, don't let her give her music. She'll ruin your life. And Charlie's like, that's okay. I'm like, chill. Oh, it's so sick. <laughs> nah, There's, that's I have too to much. Keep, I have to keep reminding myself that Charlie's 14. Sure. Yes. Because sometimes I'm just like, this fucking kid. I'm like, okay. <laughs> He is 14, but he I'm like, 14. this fucking kid. It's, yeah. but, but it's confusing because, like, whatever. Logan Lerman is visibly 22, so it's hard to be like, he's 14. Because you're like, but that's all, But that's a man. Well, anyways. <sighs> what can you do? So Charlie, he finds out that Patrick and Sam are step-siblings. He assumes that they're dating. But they're like, teehee, no. This is my stepbrother. Then they drive through a tunnel where Sam is like standing up in the bed of Patrick's truck while Heroes by David Bowie plays. But they're like, oh my God, what is this song? I love, I I liked that too, because I feel like that is such a teenage thing to hear a really famous song for the first time and then be like, this song rules. And yeah, and everyone like <laughs> over 25 is like, yeah, yeah it kind of famously does. Yeah. <laughs> it's sweet so then there's a scene where charlie gets back home from hanging out with his new friends and he sees his sister's boyfriend being physically abusive to her Mm -hmm. and she makes him promise not to tell their parents which will become a recurring motif of like 
keeping a secret. So we'll put a pin in that. Uh, Then it's time for the homecoming dance. And Charlie musters up the courage to go on the dance floor where Patrick and Sam are dancing to Come On Eileen. Then She's not like the other girls dancing big time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going for it. Then they go to this kid Bob's party where Patrick introduces Charlie to Mary Elizabeth, played by Mae Whitman, and Alice, played by Aaron Wilhelmy. They're part of this friend group as well. Mm -hmm. Charlie eats a weed brownie for the first time, not knowing it's a weed brownie. So he gets high and he's like, why do the marching band get letterman jackets? It's not even a sport. Yes, it is. And then the other, (laughs) yes. But then the other kids are like, this kid's so wild. Like, oh my God. And it's just like, he didn't say anything at all, really. No, he changed the game that day yeah it's so funny how he's like being only a little bit weird he's being like five percent weird and everyone's like whoa this kid what's going on with this kid you're like we gotta we gotta meet more people but maybe that's just high school yeah (laughs) yes um he also mentions to sam that his best friend recently died by suicide that's a detail that opens up in the book as to why he's hospitalized uh, because of the death of his friend who died by suicide yeah okay got it so that that is because yeah in the movie it really doesn't come up very much right i think that's the only time it gets mentioned that's right at least explicitly yeah 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 and then while they're still at the party charlie accidentally walks in on patrick and that guy brad kissing and Patrick takes Charlie aside and asks him to promise not to say anything like this will be our little secret. So more of this motif. Mm-hmm. Then Patrick toasts Charlie and he says, you're one of us now. You're you're our friend. You see things. You understand. You're a wallflower. And we're like, woo, that's the name of the movie. The title. (laughs) (laughs) I do find it very endearing, though, with Charlie's like, what did I do? And he's and Patrick's like, you didn't have to do anything. I'm like, that's actually mm-hmm. very nice. Yeah. You didn't like, have to do anything. There, there are many elements of this movie that are very sweet. And like down to like the, the really corny Paul Rudd being like, we accept the love we think we deserve. And you're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like oh, it's very it's like very profound in a way that you're like, it's it's too profound, but I am crying, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do. Um, I do love it. I was like, he he was right to say it. Anyways, <laughs> I mean, I guess he's not wrong. But that also happens in a scene where where Charlie goes to Mr. Paul Rudd, and he's like, "Why doesn't the girl I like like me back?" And, and I'm no, just like, Charlie. I, I don't think that's what was happening. I think it was because like he saw his sister with the abusive dude in the hallway, oh, and sure. then he came in because in the book. He tells the teacher what happened to his sister, and oh, it becomes okay. a whole thing. But they don't do that in the movie for some oh, reason. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, I I would love to you know hear what because it's it's I mean I know that there's also like producer um, decisions like it's not like Stephen Chbosky has like carte blanche with what ends up in the movie, but mm-hmm. because he's adapting his own work, I feel like that's really interesting that some stuff is like opened up on in the movies and and, and other stuff is held back on. That's yeah. I yeah. like that. I like that much better hmm. yeah 
Yeah, I, I, I guess I misunderstood. I was interpreting that as like, because this is also because Sam has been dating this guy named Craig, who says something like, "I don't write poetry. Poetry writes poetry me." Poetry writes me. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. No notes. <laughs> Maya, as a poet... Like, oh, wow, good pictures. Mm, I know. Yeah, I was like, as a poet, Maya, does poetry write you? Does poetry write you? Jesus. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Craig is the white cis dude at the open mic who's all like, this isn't going to take long, and he exceeds the three-minute timeline. It's like, mm. go home. Mm-hmm. Get off the and, stage. And yet is saying nothing at all. <laughs> that part so so anyway so (laughs) sam is dating this guy craig and i was interpreting that as like charlie's jealous and he likes sam and he wants to date sam and he sees that craig isn't good for her so that's what i thought that comment was more about in the movie but in any case charlie has friends now and he like i mentioned has a crush on sam who he likes despite her quote-unquote reputation, which we will get into later. Mm -hmm. He gives her a mixtape, but again, she's dating this kid named Craig. And then we get that scene where he asks Mr. Paul Rudd about, why do nice people date the wrong people? And he says, we accept the love we think we deserve. And then every teenager in the crowd is like, yeah! Uh, Meanwhile, Charlie is going with his friends to see Mary Elizabeth's live production of Rocky Horror Picture Show. They're going to parties together. Charlie is helping Sam study for the SATs. I have so many, like as someone who works with youth, I'm just just like, how, how did they get away with performing Rocky like this each time? Especially high schoolers. Like this seems right. like a very involved production that would take a lot of like <laughs> yeah. time and rehearsals and there's costumes yeah. and makeup. There didn't seem like there was an adult involved in the entire <laughs> not to say that kids could not coordinate this on their own. Yeah, I was sort right. of I just sort of like wrote down like was this what the early nineties was like? I don't <laughs> I mean the what? budget for it seems pretty hot. Like I don't know. I'm yeah. like, yeah, where are the adults? Like also who- yeah. they- was I I'm pretty sure that Emma Watson's hair length um, changes for just those scenes. She oh, has that's like, a wig. That's a wig. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. I, I, okay. Now I can rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she has significantly like, longer hair. hair. Yeah, in the, in the play, she's Susan Sarandon, which mm-hmm. sure, <laughs> yes. So they're all hanging out. They're exchanging Christmas gifts. Charlie wants to be a writer when he grows up, so Patrick gives him a suit because back in the day, great writers always wore great suits. And Sam gives him a typewriter. And it's around this point in the movie when I realized that it has basically the same premise as almost famous Mm -hmm. because both movies are about like a nerdy teen boy who wants to be a writer and who loves music and he falls in love with an older girl who has a quote-unquote bad reputation and who dates shitty older guys and then the teen boy starts palling around with these like cooler people who introduce him to sex drugs and rock and roll and i'm like wow that is both of these movies this is kind of yeah like a more the pittsburgh version of that (laughs) 
Um, exactly. But yeah, there is, I mean, and we'll talk about this too, but like both of those, um, the young men that are the leads of those movies, yeah, it's like made to seem like, oh, it's they're so accepting that they would be interested in like a girl who quote unquote gets around or all the, you know, kind of bizarre phrasing you hear, mm-hmm. which, well, we'll get, we'll get back to it. Right, right, right. And then Sam takes Charlie aside and asks if he has ever kissed a girl. And he's like, teehee, no. So she kisses him and he's like, wee. I'm going to interject very quickly. Yeah. The book is all, is so much more endearing. Mm. The book is a lot more endearing because like Sam talks about like, and they briefly mention it in this scene in the movie too. But, um, but yeah, she talks about how her, how her first kiss was with someone that her father knew that was significantly older. Um, mm-hmm. So there, so there was abuse going on in the house and she's crying and Charlie is comforting her. And then, and she's like, I want your first kiss to be with someone who actually loves you. Cause I didn't get that. Right. And it's so much more endearing. And like, it's so it does disappoint me that like this scene in the movie is more so colored with like flirty, chill pixie dream girl things and it's right yeah the way you're describing it sounds really i mean this may this does make me want to read the book um Mm -hmm. it sounds like a very sweet book i mean yeah that seemed like i it certainly not like if standout like bad version of a scene like that but it sounds like Mm -hmm. it was written a little differently that's interesting Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah they have a kiss and then it's Charlie's birthday, which is the same day as Christmas Eve. His brother Chris comes home from Penn State for the holidays. Well, it's the same day that Aunt Helen dies. Yes, mm-hmm. many years prior. Yeah, I don't know if I've mentioned Aunt Helen yet, but we have been getting a few flashbacks throughout the movie of young Charlie when he's probably like six or seven or some age around there. And his Aunt Helen, played by Melanie Linsky, who Charlie mentions was his favorite person in the world and who we learn died in a car accident on his birthday while she was like going to get his birthday gift. And she also refers to something being their little secret, but we don't know what she's talking about yet. Then Charlie tells his brother that he plans to ask Sam out on New Year's Eve, but she's kissing that guy Craig, so he does acid instead. He, I think, ends up passing out outside, like in the snow. Yep. He's hospitalized. There are more allusions to mental health episodes he has had where he was seeing things. Um some other stuff happens like Charlie plays Rocky in Mary Elizabeth's production of Rocky Horror which uh, sure she asks him to the Sadie Hawkins dance then she takes him home and kisses him and she's like wow I can't believe you're my boyfriend and he's like um what and we are like um why is a senior dating a freshman boy I mean yeah I'm (laughs) Today, I will not be litigating high school age gaps in dating. Uh, I simply refuse to enter that discourse. Um, however, however, I love I, Mary Elizabeth. There's like elements of Mary Elizabeth, especially as her story goes on, where it's like, 
ooh, it's so visceral and like painful to to watch how that relationship goes. And yes, yeah, God, there were elements of like Mary Elizabeth. I was like, ooh, that was what I was like when I was a teenage girlfriend. And it's so <sighs> devastating when you're like, wait, you don't want to talk every single second of every single day? <laughs> Wild. Yeah, she's she's a lot. Yeah, she's a lot. Um, <laughs> in the in the commentary, uh, Mae Whitman, who plays her, she uh, she advocated for Mary Elizabeth's hair to look the way that it does. Originally, Stephen Chbosky was like, nah, and then mm. and then and then he was like, oh no, actually, this does work. Okay, nice. <laughs> oh, that's the best. So Charlie kind of gets trapped into this relationship that he didn't even know he was in at first. And he doesn't know how to tell her that he does not want to go out with her. It's almost like he sees her and he's like, her? That's an Arrested Development reference. And then he effectively breaks up with her during a game of Truth or Dare when Patrick dares charlie to kiss the prettiest girl in the room oh my god this scene it's so stressful so charlie kisses sam instead of mary elizabeth who is sitting right there Mm -hmm. and everyone is really pissed at charlie and none of his friends want to see him for a while in this movie Mm-hmm. Patrick says a line to Charlie going like, you know, there's this thing between Mary Elizabeth and Sam, you know, they just have this thing with guys. That shit was not in the book. Oh, really? That was not there. Huh. So I'm frustrated by this scene for that reason. Weird. <laughs> like, fuck Charlie, fuck Patrick. It's awful. So like, <laughs> the movie makes Sam and Mary Elizabeth kind of like frenemies almost in a way that the book didn't. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. I was like, because I didn't, again, that was like something that was just said offhand once. And then that's yeah. the only insight that you get into their friendship. I mean, that was like one of the, I know that like Charlie is the central character of this movie, but the fact that you, you don't get to see women really interact, like you see women near each other often but you don't see them Mm -hmm. talking to each other often which Mm -hmm. is technically a huge focus of our show but it was (laughs) but i hated that that i i I hate that that's kind of the only insight you get into sam and and mary elizabeth's friendship because we're like let they've known each other their whole lives and this is like the Mm -hmm. the only fact you get about this friendship is that they've like clashed over guys which is like the most lazy trite way to yeah Mm -hmm. right that's that's so weird that that was added like especially because it's like steven chabosky added it right and for what reason yeah yeah it wasn't even in his original source material and he's like Mm -hmm. "Mm, i said what if i made it worse yeah (laughs) and then in that commentary may May whitman was like oh this was helpful for my character and i'm like no no this this is not helpful no may (laughs) no man Um, God, I love May Whitman. I feel like May Whitman, do- May Whitman, May Whitman doesn't get uh, the credit she deserves for having like right. range. She's yes. got she's got real range. She's she the best. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so meanwhile, Patrick's secret boyfriend Brad, um, Brad's dad catches them together, so they cannot see each other anymore. And a physical fight breaks out between Patrick and Brad at school. And the, like, jock guys start punching Patrick. But Charlie steps in. He seems to kind of black out. 
and when he comes to, he has beaten the guys who were ganging up on Patrick, uh, effectively saving Patrick. Because of this, because of like Charlie standing up for Patrick, his friends forgive him and let Charlie back into the friend group. One night, Patrick confides in Charlie about what happened between him and Brad. And then Patrick surprise kisses Charlie. He then apologizes and Patrick just seems, you know, very lonely and upset. I'm not excusing him surprise kissing someone, but um, that's kind of the context of that scene. But then things start to look up for everyone uh, because Mary Elizabeth has a new boyfriend. She got into Harvard. Sam is going to Penn State. Patrick is going to the University of Washington. Everyone is excited and they're doing great, except for Charlie, whose mental health uh, seems to be getting worse, especially Mm -hmm. knowing that all of his friends are about to leave. Then it's the last day of school. Sam is getting ready to head to Penn State for the summer semester, which, by the way, is something that Penn State made me do, too. They're like, oh, if you want to start at main campus. Oh, that's a thing? Yeah, I think they, I honestly think it's actually a money-making scheme, but they're just like, we don't think you're ready for main campus yet. So you, you can either come in the summer or you can go to a branch campus for two years and then transfer to main campus. Wow. And... They made it seem like my grades weren't good enough or something, or I don't even know what, but they're like, we don't think you're going to succeed here unless you give us extra money. So I went to, I had to start early (laughs) and go in the summer and I was so unhappy about it. But then when I was there, I was like, oh wait, I hate my hometown and this is much better. Yeah. Which I I do like that. They basically have Sam have that reaction where Sam yeah. was like, yeah, the second I left here, my life got way better, so much but it's better. nice to see you. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, that's the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, Sam is getting ready to head to Penn State and she's like, Charlie, why didn't you ever ask me out? And he's like, I'm shy. And then he kisses her. And then they have sex, I think it's implied. Uh, in the book, they start doing so. And then as she's touching him, he's like, mm, stop and starts crying. Um, mm. And he's like, I'm not I'm not ready. And uh-huh. and we we know why. Um, right. And- right. In the movie, they, they kiss. And then that does happen where she like puts her hand on his knee or something. And he's like, he kind of withdraws. And she's like, what's the matter? And he's like, nothing. And then they start kissing again. And then they kind of like collapse onto the bed. And then the camera pans up the way the camera pans up when people start having sex in a movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I think it's implied that they have sex, but it's not totally clear. Mm-hmm. Either way, they say goodbye the next day and she leaves, which kind of triggers a flood of memories for Charlie, things from his recent past, as well as more flashbacks of Aunt Helen, which indicate that she was sexually abusing him as a child. Mm -hmm. He starts crying and having a breakdown. He is blaming himself for his aunt dying because, again, she was killed on her way to go get his gift. But he's like, what if I wanted her to die because of the abuse and then we cut to him in the hospital where with the help of dr joan cusack 
he starts wow. to what a fun twist <laughs> where you're just like oh, okay great <laughs> yeah so he starts to acknowledge what happened and he starts to heal he goes back home with his family uh sam comes home from penn state to visit after a few months and she's like i finally found the tunnel song it's by someone i don't know if you've heard of him david bowie anyway um the tunnel song's different in the book i for, i forget which one but i know it's definitely not a david bowie uh, song something that they couldn't get the rights to probably i read, I was like, I read it was landslide by fleetwood yeah. mac which i think would actually be kind i don't know i'm sure it would be like beautiful but i feel like it'd also be i don't know i feel like they they went with a a good song yeah. for for it mm-hmm. landslide's too slow for a tunnel it's a moment. bit of a downer that's true and also in the book they're not like standing up against the car either so oh really <laughs> gotta make it cinema worthy i guess and yeah have right have stunt coordinators with them standing against the car and shit like <laughs> it seems so dangerous like you said jamie a head could pop off at any moment yeah th- throughout the commentary they were all like don't try this at home there was a harness and- oh, <laughs> i want to listen to the commentary now it sounds very wholesome <laughs> So anyway, they go through the tunnel again, and now it's Charlie's turn to stand up as David Bowie is playing, and that is the end of the movie. So let's take a quick break, and we'll come back to discuss. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And, and we're back. We're back, <laughs> baby. <laughs> uh, uh, I just wanted to, before we get into the discussion, um, just acknowledge that this is the movie that like made Ezra Miller a star. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's like often difficult to like know how to like address stuff like this on our show and then just go go into the conversation but like we are very well aware of the allegations um and just proven abuses that ezra miller um that have surfaced about ezra miller 
Uh, we, we're going to include a uh, link in the description if you're not aware and you want to sort of be brought up to speed. I don't think that this is like really the place to go into things in detail. But um, yeah, as I, I think it's worth acknowledging that like Ezra Miller seems like a pretty spectacularly abusive person yeah. and has benefited from so much privilege that they are still, as we were recording, like the flash came out this weekend and they're still, mm-hmm. you know, headlining these huge banner movies. Um, and at the time of this recording, the director of the flash is like, yeah, I know all about the stuff that Ezra did, but I have no intention of recasting them. No like, comment. They are going to stay in the flash series. So it's the classic Hollywood story of abusers allowing to continue having a career because uh, people don't want to hold people accountable. Well, and particularly white actors being shielded from any consequence. Um, So I just wanted to acknowledge that at the top. Yes. Is there a link? Is there going to be a link available for Nicholas Braun too? Because I had no idea until y'all mentioned it. Yes, yes. We will definitely include a link. And what I noticed is that it hasn't been covered by the bigger media outlets, um, which I wonder why that is. But yeah, it feels like it's been kind of swept under the rug. It was very, I, I, yeah, it, it did get, it felt very like media timing, like got swept under the rug because Succession was currently airing. Yeah. And now that Succession is over, it's like, okay, can we discuss this now? Like, yeah. right. for fuck's sake. Anyways, we'll, we'll include both of those links. And there's, yeah, elements of this movie that certainly age like milk, uh, those casting choices being two of them mm-hmm. anyways as far as the movie goes Maya where would you uh like to start uh the discussion does anything jump out at you um the scene where uh Charlie's on phone with his sister and, sh- and she's like get the police to my house mm-hmm. like oh my god oh my god it's so weird how like when I was younger watching this movie I didn't I didn't think anything of it and then now I watch this movie and I'm and I'm just like mm-hmm. oh this movie is so white if this featured a black family this would not have gone well Mm. and it's so weird like the american association of suicide prevention did a study on uh entertainment media and suicidality Mm. and the majority of folks that are typically showcased are white Mm. and typically when black people are are showcased they're not showcased having like a healing arc or anything like that Mm -hmm. um whereas charlie here gets one um and of course like all these positive interactions with law enforcement and in the book too like he charlie talks extensively about the nice cop who comforted uh his his mom Mm -hmm. uh having to report the death of his aunt or whatever and like god and in the in the commentary they're all like oh look who made a cameo appearance emma watson's bodyguard ooh uh former nypd ooh and it's and like yeah it's gross so every aspect of like law enforcement that's infiltrated in the book and the film do not sit right with me um yeah it was was a lot of course yeah Yeah. that's i I was curious of like how that was covered in the book as well i mean i guess like the further back you go probably the more blatant it goes yeah because that that i feel like that is like a showing of like the writer's hand as 
coming from privilege, especially being white and also being uh, what we see in a lot of teen movies where this movie isn't an exception, where it's like mm-hmm. they're from like a wealthy suburb. Um, right. Doesn't mean they don't have problems, but like right. another wealthy suburb, a uh, big mansion party teenager kind of movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then Charlie says like, oh, like, oh, you got to get me out of here. I can't afford being hospitalized and Joe Cusack's like oh don't worry about that I'm like I, the, the fuck right. like, yes I'm gonna worry about this uh, what yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah I, I, and, I, I, and I remember thinking that when I was younger too I remember thinking that as a teenager that being my main critique as a teenager I'm like the fuck I'm, yes, I'm supposed to, like, <laughs> yeah I, that's something that I wonder how Stephen I, I, I read a few retrospective interviews but I didn't see that specific point come up and I was kind of hoping that it would because I do think that like yeah I mean the cops are are bad at everything uh, perpetuate mm-hmm. harm at every level but like specific like are uniquely bad at dealing with mental health crises it's like that's yes. well known and I don't know I don't know even the way it's framed in the movie you're like how could this possibly be helpful <laughs> like they're kicking in the door and um scaring him but right yeah the way that i don't know i i my i'm curious how what you think is because i feel like this movie has its heart in the right place in like wanting to address suicidality and wanting to start a discussion about these issues in a genuine way and then yeah there's like elements that it's just like clearly this perspective is really really privileged or or just like not really thought through um yeah yeah this book was so the the book that this movie is based on is controversial in the sense that it's been banned a lot because of its material you know it, it addresses things like suicidal ideation and queerness and drug use among teens and different things that you know, conservative people and parents are like, I don't want my kids reading about this. So I appreciate that the book and the movie is willing to tackle those things because a lot of coming of age movies or like teen movies are, I don't know, they're either kind of like milk toast or they aren't necessarily getting into like what it's really like to be a teenager but this the secret life of the american teenager are you saying (laughs) because shailene's in not in this movie (laughs) she's in most of the other ones though it's kind of shocking that shailene woodley isn't in this movie i know right it's Um. such a shailene woodley coded movie (laughs) right But my point is, like, the perspective is so, so white. And everything is told through this extremely white, privileged lens that it isn't a, like, authentic teen experience for so many people. So it's hard to stomach in that way. Mm -hmm. Because even though, again, I appreciate its willingness to, to tackle some of the darker aspects of of life it mm-hmm. is done so through such a privileged lens yeah it definitely like it's it, and we've talked about this on the show before too where it's like no one movie can address every single perspective but this movie sure had space to address far more than it chose to yeah where yeah i mean it's like you're in 
like Pittsburgh is a far more diverse city than this uh, movie would like you to believe. Yeah. There was certainly room for like actually building out some of the uh, the women that appear in this story mm-hmm. more. Uh, there is room for class diversity within this movie that you don't really see, yeah. except kind of in passing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like it's. I feel like this this is feels very like stepping stone movie e where it's like okay. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like we'll we'll address these serious issues that should be addressed in teen media, but everything else will be surround like encased in whiteness and in privilege. It's like Stephen Chabasky has like had said like oh it's so it's such a huge thing in this movie made because like movies like this don't get don't get made and like on when I don't want to take away the fact that yes movies are hard to get made and at the time this movie was made the actors weren't paid as as well as they could have been Mm -hmm. and whatnot because everyone cared about the movie and at the same time it's like you you still got into theaters you still have all of these white faces uh you still received enough critical acclaim to be talked about years later there are very much movies like this still being made Mm -hmm. so it's it's just do better like truly yeah like and fuck fucking dear evan Hansen. i was about to say and then the fact that he clearly did not learn very much because he yeah. went on to direct yeah, only one black person one Ugh. Ugh. like and and in, in many ways i mean i have i honestly like i did not get all the way through dear evan Hansen the movie i was like i'm out of here i can't do oh, it i didn't even start it but but it is like in many ways like an even clumsier attempt to address many of the themes in this movie so you're like well i guess we know that steven chabosky didn't grow as a person between 2012 and 2022 (laughs) good to know (laughs) very very bizarre uh yeah there maybe someday we'll punish ourselves and cover dear evan hansen could be fun okay or not please invite me back (laughs) yeah oh my god please invite me back it feels like punishment (laughs) to be like all right let's same themes same amount of oppressive uh rich white teenagers but now they sing talking amongst it with y'all i would have a really good time and also i have i have a book coming out in october so it's like listen let's do it Um, yeah if you want to be our resident steven chabosky guest (laughs) by all means the best um The next thing I would like to talk about is the several references to Sam's quote-unquote bad reputation slash shameful history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where we first learn about it from voiceover where Charlie said that he had asked his sister about Sam, saying that when she was a freshman, the upperclassmen would get her drunk at parties, dot, 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 I guess she had a reputation. The implication there being that she would get drunk and then have sex with these people at parties. Um, And then Charlie goes on to say, but I don't care. I'd hate for her to judge me based on what I used to be like. And then not like other boys. (laughs) Fast forward a little bit in that scene where they're talking about having their first kiss. This is when Sam reveals that her first kiss was when she was 11 and her first kiss was with her dad's boss. So an adult man, she's 11. We're like, Oh my God, that is so awful. Yeah. And then she pushes past it and then she starts talking about how, 
she's like, I, I used to sleep with guys who treated me like shit and get wasted all the time. But now I feel like I have a chance. So she's like talking about like turning her life around. And mm-hmm. so the way that she talks about her experience and the way that her friends seem to interpret her experience they're all like wow she used to be on a really bad path and it was all her fault but look at her turning around yeah and it's unclear if she was consenting or able to consent to the sex that she was having with these right. upperclassmen. Right. There's like not enough information. Right. And in the in the commentary, Steven Jabaski is all like, oh, it was very important for me to emphasize this redemptive arc for Sam. And I'm like, this feels gross. Like, Redemption from, from what? what exactly. Uh, that That's cause, okay. That was a question that I had about the, uh, because I was like, is... Because on one hand, it's like, okay, it is not inconceivable to me that that's how teenagers in the early 90s might talk about that. For sure. But if you're going to do that, then the movie has to like provide some sort of commentary that that was an unfair way for her to be treated and not just like exactly. Keep, exactly. But it's clear that, okay, so like that's just how Steven Chabosky feels is that like you a teenage girl would need redemption from from potentially being having sex regularly assaulted right yeah um, right I, and it's like yeah and, and also i think it conflates um just the way that it's discussed in the movies so generally conflates situations that were consenting versus not where it, for me at least it was really hard to track what they were talking about a lot of the time because she described being assaulted and then it seems like maybe also she's having like she's have it's just like unclear what's going on right well the movie Mm -hmm. frames it that when she's talking about it she's speaking as though it was consensual she's like i used to get drunk and sleep with these guys because i was making bad decisions teehee and now she feels all this shame attached to it which so the movie's framing from her point of view the sex she had was consensual which may or may not be true like there's a spectrum of drunkenness where at least for me yeah you can still consent and it is not clear where we just like don't have enough information we just don't have enough information right but even if she was consenting there's still a a power imbalance where it's she was a freshman so she's like 14 right and we're talking about upperclassmen so may you know probably like 16 17 maybe 18 year old like junior Mm -hmm. seniors were led to believe so there's still a significant power imbalance here yeah the point is the movie makes it seem like she was just making careless decisions and it's all her fault Mm -hmm. and now she's turning her life around right and her friends are like oh wow that was a pretty shameful time of your past but we're not going to judge you for it. You know, you're, you're turning yourself around now, so it's okay. Right. That's how the movie feels. That's clearly how Stephen Chbosky yeah. feels. Right. I mean, apparently said. And Jamie, I want to honor what you said about like not wanting to get too much into like high school age gap discourse. I do want to honor that. And it's just very telling about what, what high schoolers tend to go through whenever you're seeking friendships and oftentimes with those age gaps it's all like oh you seem so mature for your for your age and it's like and how that creates a sense of trauma and also it's like 
Uh, if I seem mature for my age, that also comes from trauma. And you're just putting on more trauma by being Absolutely. my friend or pretending to be my friend. And like, yeah. Right. And then so, Jamie, to your point about the movie's conflation with like Sam, it's presented as though what she was doing was consensual. It was her choice. And Right. When we're know, actually told that much of it is not consensual and is actively abuse and, and assault. Right. But, but it's, it's conflating that the same with, way. yeah, because yeah. a lot of those moments are accompanied by the flashbacks with young Charlie and Aunt Helen. And then we learn right. that she was sexually abusing him. Yeah, so, yeah. it's a it's a swing and a miss on a huge issue. Yeah. Yeah. And with Charlie having this knowledge earlier in the movie, why would you not only hurt Mary Elizabeth? Why would you hurt? Sam like that yeah right Uh, it's so like it's uh, there are ways that like characters can make mistakes but the movie has to like it's the responsibility of the writer in the movie to telegraph that to their very young audience because it just feels like an endorsement Mm -hmm. of uh, like a view of consent in a way that's really confusing and like does not jive with a lot of the events and themes of the movie and just like the theme of how to treat young people having sex at all um yeah i think like sam feeling the way she feels all like all of this shame is completely understandable because people especially in this time frame and even when the movie came out in 2012 we were still being conditioned to think that like if we were the victim of assault it was our fault and you know all of this victim blaming and and slut shaming that's so pervasive because of rape culture it stands to reason that sam would be having these feelings of shame and that maybe even some of her friends would be like yeah i agree like reinforcing them yeah because again Mm -hmm. we are all products of our environment and we are we've all been conditioned to think this way but if there was at least one character who was like maybe someone older, maybe, you know, a parent or someone who could say, like, I understand why you feel this way, but you don't need to because, like, mm-hmm. this is not your fault. You, you are not to blame here. Something that would right. make it clear that this attitude of, like, victim blaming and slut shaming is not yeah. the right attitude. But that's, again, like we said, just clearly what Stephen Chbosky, yeah. how he feels. So yeah, there's right. nothing in the movie that challenges this, like, very toxic mentality right like even when it comes to patrick is supposed to be like this cool step stepbrother to her and like and even he makes comments in the movie such as like oh look at that toasty outfit it's not like it's original or anything or like making mm-hmm. comments like 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 oh my god i told her don't make yourself so small it's like it's uh, like when 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 gay men think it's okay that casual sexism is totally fine casual sexism is way too casual for me for Patrick and it's like it's gross yeah right. yes yes uh very much I think like an active trope and also just like bad queer representation on top of that yeah yeah mm-hmm. I it reminds me so much it's it's uh, this is such a weird movie to kind of pick apart because I think that like Stephen yeah. Chbosky in certain cases as a writer dodges um what you kind of come to expect of like I think he wrote this book when he was like late 20s early 30s but essentially like I think he wrote it when he was in college 
okay. Well, that doesn't really... <laughs> He's writing this script as a man in his 40s and still has yes, the same right. opinions of young women's sexuality and the shame associated with it and the complete conflation of abuse and consensual sex and not making really an effort to say... Yeah, it's just it, it's it's unfair to Sam's character, and then yeah, it's like it especially because he says himself like that. Oh, isn't it like you know making it seem like oh I'm so creatively generous to have the people in her life forgive her for this, and you're like, well, we, you haven't Mm-mm. even given us enough information to know what you're allegedly forgiving her. Like, but no matter what that answer is, she doesn't need forgiveness like whether it's consensual or especially if it's abuse like what are you talking about it's confusing exactly yeah like no redemption arc needed like uh, it's talking about her like she's kylo ren or some shit like you're just like what are you talking about right (laughs) yeah like she did not do anything wrong all she wanted Mm. to do was get better sat scores (laughs) right (laughs) um yeah, um, I I do like I I think that like that element of, of Sam is just like she's so disserviced by it because I do yeah. um I do like her character. Yeah. Um. What else would we like to talk about? Oh, I mean, so many places we could go. Um, I guess this was I I didn't know very much about this movie. I didn't know that, uh, and I think, um, in a teen movie in. 2012 having out gay characters that are very beloved and also like main characters um, Mm -hmm. was pretty unique at the time if I'm remembering 2012 correctly and uh, I'm curious of of how everyone feels it was handled it's tricky because it's like I, you have to put on your 2012 goggles and also your early 90s goggles yeah. because there is like inherent I don't know it it felt kind of like a a two-hander where on one hand, parts of like Patrick's experience is defined by trauma and rejection of like, he is in love with Brad, but they have to keep it secret, partially for stigma and shame, but also for Brad's physical safety, safety. from his very religious parents. And that's a story that we've certainly seen over the years and is unfortunately like reflected in so much of history. And mm-hmm. so, so, I, but a deeply like, traumatic queer love story mm-hmm. but I also feel like Stephen Chbosky did give Patrick a lot of room to just like be a person too and mm-hmm. like experience joy and like that's not the only thing that we know about Patrick it's a very like mm-hmm. and I, I think that is like also true for Charlie and how his um, experience being sexually abused as a as a child, you can see that it clearly influences his life and and makes it much more difficult. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't define his life, and I feel yeah. like that is something mm-hmm. that you don't really. I'm I'm not saying it's perfectly done, but I appreciated the attempts because I feel like so often that is like, well, this is the trauma that defines my entire life and my story outside Mm -hmm. of this, like who cares? And well, these are male characters. So they're allowed to not have Interesting that Sam does not get that same, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause Sam is defined by her, like being like, I, they truly do make it sound like, and this is like callous, but they make it sound like she's like cured of being a slut. And that's why she gets to go to college. Yeah. 
shut the fuck up like what <laughs> yeah a lot of like a lot of steven jabowski's dialogue during the commentary was like like for patrick he was like my number one rule for patrick is like don't make him a victim and then like when talking about sam it's like oh this redemptive arc was just so powerful for me and it's like what the fuck Um, (laughs) ridiculous which which sucks because i i I generally liked the care taken so that patrick was not framed as like a tragic victim and does like this is a horrible experience and we see that his character moves on and Mm -hmm. that's really important but also it's like it's so clear who steven chabosky is comfortable extending that to and and who he's not yeah I also question because it, the book was written in the '90s. Like, if if Stephen Chbosky had that terminology at the time, would he have articulated Charlie as as queer? Because, mm. like, in the book, he talks about how, like, oh, my dad's excited that I'm dating uh, Mary Elizabeth because he got concerned that I kept kissing this boy in the neighborhood. Oh wow! Mm. Right, and the part where Patrick initially kisses Charlie without his consent, uh, then Charlie goes like, no, really, it's it's okay. And they and Patrick and Charlie spend a lot of time kissing in the car night after night. But Sam oh. does interrogate Charlie about, about this later because Sam's concern was that I don't think you were being a good friend to Patrick because you let him talk about his sorrows and you sat there and said nothing and you let him kiss you and you did nothing and you're not establishing your your own boundaries as a friend you can and the which goes back to the movie where she's like you can't just sit back and be quiet and call that love that's not how this works mm-hmm. right that's so interesting it's i i was like i i gotta read this damn book because i <laughs> like because i did i i another like 2012 thing where i was like oh okay this movie like it is inclusive of queer people unlike most teen movies were at this time but also you're like oh this movie subscribes to there are two kinds of people they're gay or they're straight um but it sounds like the the book may have been more inclusive than that but the movie didn't or i feel like the i don't know at least movie charlie to me i thought was coded like pretty straight straight right right whereas in the book maybe he's bi somewhere else on the sexuality spectrum figuring it out or he's too much of a wallflower to tell someone he doesn't want to kiss wall- them <laughs> i don't know yes. identifies as wallflower <laughs> Identifies as wallflower. like i think i think the term he does use in the in the book is straight but still it's, it's like it's like for for me it's like is, is he though um but <laughs> right i mean yeah he's 14 he's yeah probably still figuring it out right right and it's like not like 14 year olds in the early 90s were using and, and oh in the book he's 15 regularly. he's 15 he had to stay back a grade because okay. he had to be hospitalized he's 15 he's 15 okay okay why don't they just do that in the movie because well i mean not that it makes that much of a difference but it's like everyone is 22 <laughs> <laughs> which like you might as well say they're older than four because i don't know for some reason like 14 for me is like okay so like a child and i'm looking at percy jackson and it's like but that's a man <laughs> <laughs> remember the percy jackson movies yeah. for some reason i did see those even though i think i was technically too old to see them but i'm like wow. i'm gonna see percy jackson the lightning thief should we cover <laughs> them they kind of suck to be honest but like yeah i don't know i also don't really know what happened to logan lerman every time i hear his name i'm like sounds like sure that's a guy like I'm, i don't buy it he's in a show now i'm forgetting the name of it 
and I feel bad because I, I have a friend and a fellow pressmate who wrote a beautiful poem about him and oh, like wow. and like the importance of like Jewish re- representation and like television and stuff and like oh that's cool I didn't know he was Jewish yeah I was just like there's so many people who are currently famous there's just like so many white millennial actors in this damn movie there's like <laughs> one one shot of Julia Garner and you're like whoa she's so famous now but they like they mention her in passing where they're like oh is she the uh, friend susan susan yes yeah. she was on that inventing anna show <laughs> she played anna delvey i don't know that oh. um <laughs> it's icon it's an iconically bad shonda rhyme show and julia okay. garner plays a scammer and with this horrible accent and she's always like why are you poor and you're like like it's just um Okay. Well, viewers have invented. Okay, you're looking at me like I have six heads, but listeners of this show right now do know what uh-huh. I'm talking about. Okay, I, I swear. I believe you. I believe you. Shondaland will show up to the back to the cast. <laughs> so help me. I know they will. Um, so to go back to just the the movie's approach to queerness, uh, the narrative between like the book and the movie was perhaps a little ahead of its time in its willingness to have a queer character and fully characterize them. And even though something traumatic happens to them, they are not defined by their trauma and they are given an ending that is like positive and like, it seems as though Patrick has a bright future. They turned the camera to him when uh, when Charlie talks about like, and everyone's going to become mothers and fathers. And it's like, yeah, queer people can be parents too. And it's and like, brave. <laughs> 2012. What a time. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's like, like we said, like a stepping stone kind of mm-hmm. situation where there's certainly yeah, better sure. queer representation now but you know for the time it was maybe a bit ahead yeah above above average Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then i think uh we should definitely talk about um it feels kind of callous to call it a reveal but that is kind of how it's presented Mm -hmm. uh in the story especially if you're me and you really don't know what happens in the movie the perks of being a wallflower Mm. where you find out at the very end of the movie it's so weird because you it does feel like the movie's about to end and then you're like wait there's 20 minutes what's going on mm-hmm. where you find out the aunt uh who passed away when uh charlie was very young had been sexually abusing him up until her death and that mm-hmm. i think it's implied and and my i'm curious how it's like talked about in the commentary and in the book that this was a repressed memory that through his experiences in this year and also like in that that moment with Sam where she touches his leg that it Mm -hmm. resurfaces and he understandably goes to a very dark place um, and has to be hospitalized I yeah I'm I'm curious of how that was discussed on the commentary yeah in the commentary uh, the original writing of the script was having the reveal take place like right after sam first touches uh charlie's leg and then summit entertainment had said like push that a little bit farther we want uh we we don't want this moment for charlie to be interrupted or like something like that Um, interesting yeah that's so and it's like i don't really know how to 
feel about it. it like there is an element of that like creative choice of like making it a reveal mm-hmm. to be like, hmm, mm-hmm. why is this a twist at, at the right. end of the movie? It, it similar similarly comes up in the book too. Real, it's, okay. it's like I don't know. I, I guess it's like if I'm. I, I, I genuinely don't know how I feel about it because mm-hmm. in one way it's like you see Charlie as you know I, I feel like it's so I don't know like even especially having like gone through the whole process of making Lolita podcast and yeah. writing and, and researching that topic so intensely. It's another and- great podcast of yours too oh my god so good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah this is the plug section of the podcast. <laughs> And, and being very lucky to have not experienced that myself. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it can be seen as a good thing that we get to know Charlie so thoroughly outside of that context because um, survivors of that kind of abuse, again, it's just like, oh, this is the defining event of my life or that's how it's very often framed. But then it's just like, it does feel so bizarre to have it be like the twist. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I don't know. What is there? How did everyone feel about that? I just, I, I, it was it was a choice. It was a choice that was made, and I don't know. It just made me think. I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah, I'm I'm similarly uncertain, and I think it could be helpful for for boys, teenage boys, young men, or any kind of mask presenting person who has experienced this type of abuse, because so often when we think about sexual abuse. It's in reference to women and femmes. Yes. And it rarely gets explored in media unless you're talking about like spotlight or something. And it's also very rare in media that an adult woman is portrayed as the perpetrator. Yeah. Um, right. Because it does happen. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. I, I've got some, not, I, I sounded way too chipper. I was like, I have some stats. Uh, <laughs> they're fucking horrible, but I do have yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I, I found a piece um, that appears in the Colorado Coalition Against Sexual Assaults. as written in 2014 uh, by Megan McCluskey that talks about the portrayal of a CSA survivor in Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm-hmm. I believe she is talking about the book here, but I just wanted to sort of share um, this writer feels like it was a, a pretty solid portrayal of a young person um, processing that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have two chunks. Uh, Quote, Charlie concludes in his final letters and perks that he was sexually abused in early childhood by his aunt Helen, who is now deceased. Jaboski's decision to feature a male victim of sexual violence along with a female perpetrator erodes the persistent female victim slash male offender paradigm. In actuality, it is likely that more than 16% of men have survived sexual abuse by the age of 18. And while the majority of these young victims were assaulted by adult men, the existence of sexually abusive adult women is receiving increased attention. Uh, The fact that Charlie's abuse was committed by a trusted and beloved family member is also consistent with reality. More than 90% of juvenile sexual abuse victims know their perpetrators. Mm -hmm. Charlie's fondness for Aunt Helen and his prolonged grief over her accidental death is a poignant representation of the convoluted emotions many survivors of sexual assault experience toward those who abuse them. Um, She goes on to discuss and um, I, I won't get too into it because it's a, it's a longer uh, passage, but essentially sure. says that she feels that Chabosky does a, a pretty solid job of 
portraying how that often bears out in a survivor's young life um, and how that very likely has just like how PTSD is processed in teenagers and how that very likely connects to the reason Charlie is so shy and connected Mm -hmm. to panic attacks and how the death of his close friend could have exacerbated that. Um, And I don't know. I, I, it was really interesting to read. I will, um, we can link it in the episode as well, but that was something that I didn't see. I'm I'm curious how, I mean, I, I can't, speak to this experience but it seems like it was generally well well regarded and like how charlie's character is treated and portrayed yeah mm-hmm. and again I, it could be helpful for someone watching this who had who has experienced that and you know allow them to feel especially because the story is told from the point of view of the survivor of abuse where when it is brought up in media a lot of times it's not their story it's not the survivor's story it's Mm -hmm. another character who we're not getting you know an inside look into their life and their feelings and their experiences so Mm -hmm. um yeah i i i think it uh, could easily be helpful i think it could also easily be triggering for people you know it's but but as far as how it's handled definitely a movie you should go in with your eyes open yeah yeah but as far as how it's handled i I, it nothing really struck me as something to really be concerned about from a representation point of view but i mean i think that that does circle back to why does Sam not receive this same grace and right. treatment? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I I think that the way it's handled in Charlie's character is I, I I mean just based on other ways I've seen this story portrayed, like pretty well done, especially mm-hmm. for its time. And I also like that it, they took the moment. I don't know if this happens in the book, but they took the moment to show that his he was believed by his family and supported. Mm-hmm. Because that's, you know, like another element that can often be re-traumatizing if the people in your life do not believe you. So I like that the, sure. that the way this story bears out, he is believed. And and then gets, you know, the the ending that's very like corny and cathartic and sweet and you know maybe two seconds after the camera shuts off he gets decapitated within the tunnel we don't really know uh (laughs) hopefully that's not what happens and he goes on to have a great high school experience (laughs) that's what i want from him uh but Uh (laughs) i can't i like literally that there's a lot of difficult scenes in this movie but watching these kids go through that damn tunnel is so stressful for me um actually honestly having seen hereditary i assume (laughs) that that's going to happen now for any character who just sticks their head out of a window so (sighs) say what you will about ari aster but he really does make you think about heads popping off uh all the time he really sears an image into your brain that you will never forget or recover from. What a legacy! Uh, <laughs> um, but 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 anyways, yeah. Just to sort of close close that loop. As well done as I thought Charlie's story was handled in that regard, and how how thoughtfully it was. Uh, again, with Sam, it's just mentioned, and she still needs this. It's just like it. It. it I just want to sit inside of Stephen Chabasi's brain for a second to be like, why, why is it so different between these two characters? I mean, yeah, that extends to basically all the female characters in 
the movie um because yeah. his sister as well his mm-hmm. sister and a mary elizabeth mm-hmm. and mary elizabeth's friend who is sometimes in the movie yeah <laughs> like speaking of charlie's sister yes there is a deleted scene that is from the book where candace charlie's sister is pregnant and that she needs oh. charlie's help uh when it comes to her getting an abortion what's all this and then? and it's a time where she and charlie are connecting more um and huh. steven chabaski had said that he ended up deleting it because uh he said it was too emotionally intense and wanted to prevent emotional fatigue Okay. And I have feelings about that, especially when it comes to young people who could have really benefited from seeing that. And also part of me is like, mm-hmm. are are you doing that so that you can prevent a rated R warning? Because I don't think that's fair either. Um, Interesting. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, abortion has always been such an issue that Hollywood has really avoided wanting to put on screen until like extremely recently yeah yeah it's uh, that's so and does that sorry does that happen in the book it does it does that's so uh, uh yeah because i i totally agree especially in 2012 it's like there there are so many and when the audience of this movie is obviously i guess teenagers but i would actually guess closer to middle schoolers 20s. i feel like stories about high schoolers are more often consumed by people a little bit younger who are looking forward mm-hmm. to high school and yeah like especially if it was well handled which I don't, I don't know. It's like, I don't necessarily trust him as a director to, sure, because uh, maybe it would have just been a scene where Nina Dobrev would have been like, I'm so ashamed. And then Charlie's like, it's okay. I forgive you. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't like that. Um, oh, good. But like what, what, good. what I do, what I do take issue with is like Steven Tabaski's continuously calling N- N- Nina Dobrev uh, an unsung hero and how like during the actor's commentary, in this scene where where she first gets hit by her boyfriend, uh, some some of the, uh, <laughs> Ezra Miller uh, is a, is as cracking a joke as a way to like assuage the awkwardness of having to watch her get hurt Jesus. by saying by saying like oh Nina Dobrev could beat all our asses or whatever and it's like Ooh. the fuck show um, me a clip that's aged worse uh, <laughs> ugh, gross uh, yeah that was I, I I that was another sort of small element of this story that I I wasn't prepared for that again I just I feel like it is a relevant topic of discussion and something that obviously happens all the time and happens to young people all the time and the movie didn't really give it the space it needed to mm-hmm. be discussed because you see right. yeah like I, I and I, I don't think that that was like intense intentionally right. exploitative but I just I, I don't like that they showed the worst of it and showed us physical abuse and then did not give her character any really on-screen time to process it right right I I, I thought it was an interesting start to having that conversation mm-hmm. when she basically tries to justify the abuse to mm-hmm. her brother like I, I know that's a very common part of yeah an experience like that like I've I've been the person saying that to a loved one before and Mm -hmm. like I think that that's an important but 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 then that's sort of that's it the end of it you just find out at the end like oh she broke up with him which great glad yeah but the fact that you only you see abuse you see her justifying the abuse and then yeah any journey that she has takes place Mm -hmm. off screen which 
I'm realizing now that all of the female characters, or at least like the teens, are defined by the boys they like or who they're dating because you've got, you know, the sister, she's in this abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And then there's a beat where it's like, she decided to break up with him and she went with her friends to prom. But then the next, the final beat of her, like barely a story arc is she met a a guy at her summer job and she's dating him now and he's nice. Yes. Same with Mary Elizabeth of like, well, she started dating this other guy. So she's, I mean, also, I mean, honestly, I was kind of glad that Mary Elizabeth started dating someone else because I was like, yeah, that was was her partner in real life at the time. I don't know whether or not they're still together, but like, Uh yeah, she, she really, she really advocated for her boyfriend to be in the movie. Wow. She's like, I want a bad haircut. I want my boyfriend in the movie. Good for you, Mae Whitman. Sure. Why not? But like, she didn't need to get with someone else. Like, it, no, it, she it, didn't. The She got into yeah. Harvard. Like, she's fine. Right. Uh, yeah. She, she's going to start a, a romance two seconds before she leaves for school. That's silly. Right. But, um, and, and that like Sam, I, I think we see this a lot. Like Sam is probably not with Charlie forever, but I feel like her ending up with Charlie to some extent um, is this sim- like sign that like she's left her old ways in the past and this relationship is symbolic that like she's going to be okay. And you're like, because she's with a nice Or she could just now. be okay. <laughs> like, right. or she could just be okay. Yeah. Yeah. But especially with his sister who's, I keep, I kept just being like Nina Dobrev, um, <laughs> Candace. Yes. God, this made me want to revisit Nina Dobrev's arcs in Degrassi, which is how the world <laughs> met her. She dated Spinner. Okay. She's a teen mom. She's kind of a legend on the show. Degrassi heads will know. Is this why I don't know her? Because I've never seen Degrassi. Sorry. You don't watch enough trashy TV, and that's something that I've <laughs> wanted to talk to you about. Um, she's kind of a legend of... Degrassi is not trashy TV, except sometimes. Oh, Wait, except no. when it is. <laughs> except when it really is and then you're just like these canadians need to relax uh, well this is a part of my shameful history but i'm gonna turn things around and, I, I and it's all you. my fault <laughs> i'm charlie i forgive you for your <laughs> negligent you. ways and then she's on a show that's just straight up trash but i have seen a lot of and princess weeks has made some amazing videos about uh, the vampire diaries yes. which is yes. the cw capitalizing on twilight's popularity but it was on for like 50 years (laughs) and they were like playing 22 year olds but they were like 40 it was wild Mm -hmm. what was going on on that damn show (laughs) anyways that's where nina dobrev comes all that to say i really like that actor um Mm -hmm. and but i as far as her arc goes i i i really get pissed off when a filmmaker is comfortable showing a woman being abused and then does not make the space for her to have a character arc like if you're if you don't have space for her in the movie don't show her getting hit Mm -hmm. it just feels exploitative a little bit Mm -hmm. even if it wasn't intended that way i feel like it yeah it pisses me off yes i agree in the book she's uh she's about to get an abortion and and at the time when she tells the boyfriend that she's pregnant he's like ha not mine and then she proceeds to to get the abortion connects with charlie she tells the boyfriend tells him like like you know what it was it was a false alarm don't worry about it and he's like okay great and she's like but i'm breaking up with you Hmm. and then like there's a description of her reading like self-esteem books but then stopping to read the self-esteem books because she starts dating a guy a year younger than her so i'm not saying the book is perfect 
by any means. Um, yeah. But it seems to give her a little bit more characterization. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like it definitely does more. And I know that, like, when you're adapting, like, stuff has to get cut down and stuff like that. But it's like, right. okay, if you didn't have the space for her to be a bigger character, then don't show her getting abused if, mm-hmm. like, yeah. And it's just, it's very telling who this writer director wants to give space to because the right. most characterized people in this movie are the boys like the boys we don't know an awful lot i think the like mary elizabeth likes rocky horror picture show which and, and, then, and good for her she's right to her. feel that way but like what else do we know about any of the girls except for like their taste in music I also am like, how is this Mary Elizabeth's production of Rocky Horror, but she's still somehow cast in a minor role? I was like, can we let, like, why can't May Whitman be the main person? Like, the Hollywood is allergic to letting her be the main person. Even She's like, this is yeah. my production, and I'm going to play the maid. I'm like, why? Mm, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. I, I wanted to sh- shout out Mary Elizabeth as I don't know I felt in in ways I I was almost a little bit embarrassed about I was like oh I felt kind of represented by her at times where it's just like uh young woman doing the most uh (laughs) she doesn't know how Ash Wednesday works right this is like this like just desperately trying to be like this maybe this maybe i'm this person or maybe i'm this person she's like Mm. i'm vegan person no i'm rocky horror person no i'm book person like just like (laughs) i get what like i don't know I was like she's a little frustrating at times and a, a little up her own ass but I just I, I feel like it's you don't see characters like that a lot who are like also loved by their friends and like think you know things end up going well for her mm-hmm. and also just like that moment of like oof just like hum- this movie does like humiliating moments pretty well in a way that mm-hmm. like kind of triggered my inner teen that scene where ooh where he he so, I mean, there's a lot going on in that scene where he surprise kisses Sam and humiliates his girlfriend, mm-hmm. who is a lot, but certainly did not deserve that. Right. Ugh. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I wouldn't talk to him for two weeks either. Yeah. Well, is there anything else anyone wants to talk about? Yes. The character Michael, the friend who dies by suicide. Um, yes. yes. In yeah. the... In the movie, he's only brought up super, super briefly while Charlie is stoned. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Chbosky had said, like, in books, you can do multiple ghosts. In a movie, you only get one ghost. And I wanted, and he said, I want that one ghost to be Aunt Helen. I don't want two ghosts. Mm. And then uh, he had said, in the book, you open with, like, Charlie and a bunch of other kids grieving Michael's suicide before high school starts. Um, and then he says, oh, I didn't want this to be... A, a suicide movie and not wanting that to be the tone of the movie and i'm just over here like but but it is a suicide movie and that is okay right like you don't have to frame it, it as a there- right exactly you so you don't have to frame it as like and that and, and again going back to tanita dobrev's deleted scene it's like what do you what do you mean emotionally intense and 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 also this this doesn't help that he has an extensive like screenwriting background either where he's trained by a bunch of other white cis dudes and and so mm-hmm. probably the mindset of like oh emotions equate bad writing sort of thing which i very much disagree with um yeah and how this is a topic that shows up in a lot of his work like he right. <laughs> the, 
I understand uh, there are a lot. There's a lot of discourse about Rent, but uh, he he adapted that screenplay and he did include the the suicide that was in the original Broadway production. But then the director mm-hmm. is like, mm, we're going to cut it, and then you direct and write projects that that also contain content about about suicide. It's like that is okay that that's a topic that's close to you. Like don't right. frame it in a way that that you're like, oh, I, you know, I didn't want it to be that movie. And it's and it's like no, like there are folks who need that content like there's this there's this movie that Hugh Jackman is in uh, that's based off of a play called The Sun and that got bad reviews because they're all like oh it's all melancholy and whatnot and it's like no this is actually a very real portrayal of how suicidal ideation happens and also like it's able Mm. to portray it in a way where it's like no you don't need like typically what a lot of films do is like they give a reason for why someone is having mental health issues and what I like about The Sun is how this character explicitly says like i don't need a reason i just don't want to be alive and it's uh right and then that movie ends up getting bad reviews because they're like oh too much emotion um it's like that's i i didn't even know that i was like i would I, i'll i'll watch that movie <laughs> like <laughs> it, it's, it's a it's a sad ending i will say that it's okay it's mm. so be be prepared for that watch it with a friend but that's so that's so wild though that it feels like and i do wonder yeah what kind of like producer pressures there are to be like oh well this is like this is too much for a teenage audience versus like I also it's just like what is considered too much and not too much quote unquote like there's such nebulous terms and I feel like are so defined by Mm -hmm. like the money people versus like Mm -hmm. what young audiences would actually benefit from because I'm sure that like that that would be um and but then also you're just like well this is also the man that goes on to adapt Dear Evan Hansen. So, you know, how do we how do we establish trust and what do we do? It's confusing. And that ended up getting bad reviews. And I'm, and I'm over here like, hmm. Right. Well, he, he I guess he didn't write that one. He directed it. Like, his, like so. he... I don't know. Like he I, helped, he helped with some of the writing. He and a few others helped with some some of the writing. But yeah, okay. the the original like Broadway person who wrote it is the main writer of it. Got it. Got it. Uh, I was like, wait, I don't, I'm, I don't need to contribute to the dunking on Dear Evan Hansen. There's there's a whole cottage industry around dunking on that movie. Um, but so many theater people. <laughs> so many. Oh my god, it's like they've really angered the wrong people this time. Uh, <laughs> The last thing I wanted to say was about Aunt Helen, where they didn't go deep into this. I wonder if they did in the book. Uh, I'm, I wasn't mad about it, but I thought it was interesting that it was mentioned because just based on what I know, it did sort of seem to scan um, where Charlie makes a reference to, it sounds as if Helen may have been abused as well and yeah I got that impression and that he brings that up in like almost as like a sort of defense of of her behavior was like well she was hurt and and that is I mean obviously there's no prescriptive way to talk about this but like that is something that frequently happens is that abusers have been abused themselves and I was glad they didn't harp on it I didn't feel like there was really a need to but I thought that Mm it was um it just felt pretty authentic that like if charlie knew that that would be something where that would like come up for for him when he was starting to process that Mm -hmm. in the book they talk about how both aunt helen and charlie's mom 
were physically abused by their by their father. Okay. But that uh, but that Aunt Helen was uh, was was sexually abused by a friend of the father. Mm-hmm. So I did find it interesting that the movie had decided like. Oh, Aunt Helen moved in because of bad boyfriends. Because in the book, uh, they're they're all like, we don't know why Aunt Helen moved in, but she's here now and until she dies. Oh, interesting. Okay. I have a question. There's a moment toward the end where there's a flashback. Young Charlie is holding, I think, his mom's hand to comfort her after the death of aunt helen mm-hmm. i think it's her his mom but i'm not sure no it's all I, aunt helen's hand oh it is so because like okay. her mm-hmm. wrist kind of turns over and you see scars mm-hmm. from an apparent suicide attempt on her wrist so that was mm-hmm. aunt helen yeah okay i wasn't sure which adult woman that i wasn't was. mm-hmm. okay yeah because i wasn't sure either and then i also knew that it was already established in like i mean very very different situation but like when he's hooking up with Mary Elizabeth and he's thinking about Sam that like faces would sometimes swap when he was yep. like mm-hmm. in his so I wasn't I, I just wasn't sure okay that's yeah, yeah. Got it. good to know and again it's like I, I do I, I wasn't bothered that the movie didn't harp on that but that it was acknowledged mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I want to say is Sam's line where she says I'm not a bulimic. I'm a bulimist. Oh, oh God. God. I love bulimia. I'm like, who? You're just like, <sighs> Stephen Chbosky, what? <laughs> you will pay for your crimes. Yeah. Weird ass 90s dialogue. He wrote a line, and then uh, apparently uh, Emma Watson and Ezra Miller decided to do improv on that line, and that's what ended up being the final take or whatever. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It did sound very like. <laughs> Sorry, but like dumbass teenager, like banter. Sure, but in a way that it was like, did we need that? Was that necessary? An adult wrote this. Yeah, right. yeah, An adult right. Wrote You're this. like, but uh, but a 45 year old man wrote this down. So, huh? Interesting. The two adult actors were like, "This is fine." Yeah, the two 22 uh-huh. year olds are like, "Let's riff on this," and you're like, "Please don't." Or not. Or not. Anyways, good job, Percy Jackson. Liked you in the movie. <laughs> Uh, I, I thought I thought he was good. Like I I, I enjoyed Logan Lerman's performance, <laughs> and I enjoyed his performance as Percy Jackson. So, so there. Wow. Um, Brave of you to admit. Absolutely, but but this is actually a great question. Does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Actually, does it? I don't. Because yeah, I, I didn't even pay attention. Because like, it's like I'm not sure because i'm not sure i felt the same way if it if it passes because of like the dialogue between mary elizabeth and alice but at the same time it's it's like it's only like it's it's very quick pieces of pieces of dialogue between the two Mm -hmm. of them or or does it pass when charlie's mom and his sister are talking about like preparing to shop for college move-in stuff so i'm over here like like does it pass the bare minimum or does it pass this podcast requirements for passing and like it's I don't know for the first time mm-hmm. in a long time I actually really <laughs> thought about the Bechdel test when uh <laughs> watching this movie because there's actually a pretty uh pretty robust discourse around whether this movie does or does not pass the Bechdel test which usually in my mind just says it doesn't uh if it uh, by our standards it does not. By the original standards of the Bechtel test, it does. But mm. because we say like it should be an 
impactful line of dialogue right. and not something throwaway. There yeah. is a throwaway line that it, I just thought was funny. Um, there's just like passing conversation you hear between Mary Elizabeth and Alice. So we know their names. And it's when Charlie insults Mary Elizabeth's hair and Alice right. says to Mary Elizabeth, it's kind of true. And Mary Elizabeth says, shut, shut up. up. <laughs> so I would say maybe that's a no for us. And then there's another uh, thing where there, there's like a brief exchange between Mary Elizabeth and Charlie's mom, but we don't know what Charlie's mom's name is. So right. I would say that's a no. And also that exchange doesn't matter. Mary Elizabeth and Alice also talk about blue jeans where one of them gives them as a gift to the other person. Oh, yeah. Like, ha, ha, ha. You got me jeans. I guess I just counted that as like a group setting scene. Yeah, right. I don't know. The bottom line is that you would think the girls would talk to each other more, Mm -hmm. but the creative voice behind this story doesn't really have any interest in Mm. that. Yeah, I'm going to say it's a no. Yeah. That this does not pass our version of the Vexel test. Mm. Yeah, that's fine with me. But... What about that nipple scale of ours? A scale where... (laughs) What about a perfect metric that's never been wrong? Never, ever. Um, We rate the movie on a scale of zero to five nipples based on examining the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. I'm going to do the Bechtelcast cheat code and split down the middle 2.5 because while it was either like ahead of its time or just sort of like representing certain things that a lot of media was hesitant to explore uh, at this time and even to some extent now still but you know things like suicidal ideation and mental health issues among teenagers um, openly queer characters who don't have a completely tragic storyline and who are pretty fully characterized, things like that. But then on the other hand, it's so painfully white and the excuse that like, oh, but this was an affluent suburb. No, I don't buy it. Like, Also, who's putting, like, who is, like, uh, forcing you to set your story there? (laughs) Exactly. Like, people in across class boundaries uh, have these problems. Exactly. So there being not a single person of color who speaks in the movie is glaring. The approach to the Sam character and her like quote unquote torrid past is so dramatic. I'm like, leave her horribly handled, like really fumbled uh, the way that's handled. And again, just the lack of interest of fully characterizing the girls in this story in general, and there not being space made to, just give them more interests, define them by things besides either their trauma or the boys they're dating, things like that um, mm. is also pretty glaring. So I think I'll stick yeah. with two and a half and 
I'll give one nipple to the one black kid you see walking past the screen at school. Also, also two black people then. Okay, there's there's a black doctor who doesn't speak and there's a black student who doesn't speak. That's wild. I think I saw a black student, but maybe it's just wishful thinking. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I'll, and I'll give I'll give one nipple to Mae Whitman because I like her as an actor and I'll give my half nipple to sister Candace and and her going to prom stag with her friends oh my god I justice for Candace uh, movie (laughs) Candace at least yes um yeah I'm gonna I'll, I'll split down the middle too I think that this is a very sincere movie with its heart mostly in the right place Mm -hmm. but I think and and like honestly I didn't feel this as strongly entering this conversation this has been like a really really clarifying helpful conversation um because you're both just so damn smart and beautiful and cool they're we're we're killing it this zoom chat is electric (laughs) all three of us are so smart good for us we are infinite yes in this moment we're infinite and then our heads go (laughs) Uh, but, but yeah, I, I think that it's like, as far as the way this movie treats its protagonist, Charlie, I generally think it's a thoughtful movie that like tries to do right by its protagonist. You see, I mean, whitest movie in the world takes place in the upper middle class being generous. These houses are fucking ginormous <laughs> so in in some ways it's very much the status quo of, the, of a teen movie but you also see representation that you don't see in most teen movies where yeah. but the represent, representation you get is limited to white men uh, or white boys mm-hmm. however you know within that I do feel like Patrick uh, imperfect uh, and being played mm-hmm. by Ezra Miller certainly does not help uh, synthesize Ooh. this this character but I, I did like that Patrick was not defined by his trauma and he gets a happy ending and and that's I feel like when queerness is portrayed in youth media that's I mean even if we're talking Degrassi very often yeah. not the case and he has good parents <laughs> he has good parents it's Brad who has terrible parents he actually has good parents yeah mm. do we meet his parents I in, in the book you hear how great they are but like yeah okay yeah, it's. I think it is referenced in the like in very very much in passing, but that his family like is accepting and loving of him, which like mm-hmm. all families should be. But I guess like for the early nineties, that is like a good thing to be explicit about, and that ha- you know that different queer characters in the movie have different backgrounds, and there's not one prescriptive experience, mm-hmm. and that there's I think pretty solid portrayal of a young male uh, CSA survivor which is again to this day Mm -hmm. very very rare in media and I mean we we talked through that piece but just I I think gets a lot right in a way that is horrible like it is such a horrific topic Mm -hmm. to explore but it's very important and I think that the um, especially like that he is able to begin processing it and that it's clear that it's like not just something that it like it's an ongoing process I liked that it showed that like he's going to be going back to Dr. Joan Cusack for a long time to like continue processing Mm. this experience and um, again you Mm -hmm. see a very privileged uh, Mm -hmm. perspective on processing CSA but but it's so rare that I, I was happy that it was there 
However, docking it for not just um, the uh, the whiteness of this movie and the the class it's sort of set in, but also how uh, women do not really get the same benefits of grace from the story and time and uh from from the director and writer that the male characters do which Mm -hmm. just means you're not going to do great on the Bechdel cast sorry so uh you know justice for Sam I I do want to read the book now and see because I like Sam as a character and it's just like you just don't get quite enough and the redemption arc rhetoric oh it just like made me turn on him even harder when my when you like it confirmed that like and this is just how he feels um and you're like okay well uh now I'm angry okay Mm -hmm. uh so I'm gonna go two and a half on this uh you know B for effort good job Percy Jackson (laughs) I'm giving all of my nipples to Dr. Joan Cusack Oh, that's yeah. the real twist of the movie. <laughs> You're like, the doctor's Joan Cusack? She's in the opening credits, but by the time she shows up, you, you forget forgot. that she yeah. was there. And you're like, oh, right. She was here all along. Bigger jump scare than the decapitation scene in Hereditary. Dr. Joan Cusack. So wild. Especially because Kate Walsh, it's more Shondaland talk. What's wrong with me? Um, that Kate Walsh, a.k.a. Charlie's mom was famously on Grey's Anatomy and then private practice. So I'm so used to seeing her be a doctor, but she's not a doctor in this movie. Joan Cusack's a doctor. And that's an exciting twist for the early 2010s. We're like, wait, that's Mrs. Doctor. And they're like, nope, she's Mrs. Mommy. And we don't know what she does. We have no idea. (laughs) We don't even know what her name is. She's Mrs. Kilmeckis. Yep. Well, that's my that's my full <laughs> rating. Also, justice for for Candace. Yes. Maya, what say you? Yeah. Um. I okay. I thought about this question beforehand because it's my it's it's a great part of the podcast format. Thank y'all very much. Uh, <laughs> I will also give it two and a half. And there's there's so much casual ableist language in this movie and and of course it's and I know that it's the 90s and I know that came out in 2012 but also it's like casual ableism is way too casual but you don't have to say it yeah yeah exactly there's a lot of like homophobic slurs as well but they're always said (laughs) by characters who we know are like bad people and Mm -hmm. it's tricky Mm -hmm. sorry continue I, there's a deleted scene where uh, where Joan Cusack is in the is in the opening because like the original plan was to have the film open in the hospital, so so that viewers could be like, oh, how did he get there or whatever. And then they then they decided mm. to scrap it. And my partner and I were uh, were watching it, and and he was like, okay, so it's nice that it opens with the tunnel and then it closes with the tunnel. Um, Ooh. <laughs> wow, I'm back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, and again, this I, like I do really appreciate that there's a portrayal of a young person take uh, taking medication, and it's not framed in a way where it's like, oh, I stopped taking the meds because like they they don't it's, it doesn't portray who I am or whatever. Because I see that way too often in movies, and it's nice that it's just mm-hmm. it's just a objective thing. He just takes meds, and it's fine. Um, yeah. and it is and it is interesting listening to the commentary how like. There's a producer, Russ Smith, uh, who had advocated for making sure that scene remained in the movie, mm-hmm. which which I find interesting, especially in the year of like movie was made in 2011, came out in 2012. Um, 
So I like that it normalized that for its time. Mm-hmm. I don't like how <laughs> Joan Cusack's character is like, oh, don't worry about the money. And it's like, uh, and it's like, no, because yeah. it's Stephen Chbosky, like wanting to encourage kids like, oh, no, don't worry about the money. Just go uh, go to the hospital when you need to. And it's like, no. And also, again, when you think Doesn't about really work like that for a lot of people. Right. When you think about kids of color and queer kids and trans kids who have terrible mm-hmm. experiences in there and like and how often mm-hmm. psych wards are tied to the prison industrial complex is like is not mm-hmm. yeah. a happy ending for everybody. And it's and it's not accessible for everybody. Uh, yeah. Not everyone can afford therapy. It's a very like puppies and rainbows approach to like law enforcement and American healthcare. Right. Yeah. And all the actors did, did such a did such a great job, even, even though they're yeah, two actors being in it. It's like they're not great people. Um and yeah. I, I do appreciate that everyone's humanity is held well in place because I know that in the commentary he was like, there are no villains, he kept saying, which I can appreciate, um, mm-hmm. even when it comes to Aunt Helen's character, as you, as you were saying, like they, they portray her humanity without like excusing anything that she did. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Which is like so hard to mm-hmm. do. But yeah, it felt like one of the things that they really succeeded at. Yeah. Uh, so I give it two and a half nipples. One nipple is to be shared between Mae Whitman and Emma Watson. Uh, I love Mae Whitman's self-advocacy for herself. Uh, and, and, and Emma Watson overall does, does a great performance. And it's great that like this, is, this was her first movie where she gets to be a, f- a featured character that was like, oh, that's like away from the Harry Potter franchise. I thought it was very mm-hmm. cool that um, yeah. at the time for like while prepping for press for this movie, Stephen Chbosky was like, I don't know how to do this. And Emma Watson was like, oh, I have years of experience. Let me tell you. Oh. <laughs> she knows how to be in a movie where she has two friends and both of them are <laughs> both of them boys. Are boys. That's true. This is Emma Watson canon. And she ends up with one of the boys? Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I've seen this before. Yeah. And to be clear, I know uh, we, we know that Ezra Miller is non-binary. Yes. Um, yes. But the character of Patrick, you know, uses he, him pronouns. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 We should have acknowledged that sooner. But um, anyway, so two and a half nipples. Yeah. One nipple shared between Mae Whitman and Emma Watson. Um, so Mary Elizabeth and Sam. One nipple that is shared between Nina Dobrev and Kate Walsh. Because uh, there are some deleted scenes with where Kate Walsh and Charlie interact as well that end up getting deleted, which which personally I believe what was for the best, but still it's like mm. Kate Kate Walsh just deserves better in general. Like private practice got canceled, bad judge got canceled. Uh, she <sighs> she played she played Hannah's mom in Thirteen Reasons Why. I know. Like, I what? was like, uh, uh, like she deserves so much better. <laughs> like, give this woman a role that isn't corny challenge, like. <laughs> Not possible. Actually, I haven't seen the Umbrella Academy. Maybe people maybe really like she it. Gets, but and, and she's in Emily in Paris. She's in every corny show of all time. And Umbrella Academy, it's a good time. Or like, I, there are definitely some cheesy elements, but I had a great time. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh my god, I've written I've written about that show a lot last year. Um, anyways, and then the half nipple goes to Paul Rudd for shooting for two oh, days. Oh yeah, because he's in this. Yeah, he's in the same room the whole time, and he's like, I need to cut my hair. I need to leave. He's like. Charles Dickens, great Gatsby. Oh my God, so corny. <laughs> the last thing I want to say to close out the episode is about Pittsburgh, my new favorite American city. Um, I mm-hmm. love Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's the best. And I was uh, in Pittsburgh with Sarah Marshall, and she and her friends were showing me this um, old. 
tourism video for Pittsburgh that was so from like the late 80s that was so defensive. Like it was the most <laughs> self-conscious promotion of a city I've ever seen. Nice. But it's just like videos of Pittsburgh and you're and like I think it gets a bad rap, but it opens with like all this all this voiceover that's like, why would I want to go to Pittsburgh? Ew, Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh? Did my car break down? And I was like, geez. And then it like cuts to a sweeping view of Pittsburgh. And this grand voice is like, Pittsburgh is actually a great American city. And then it, it says, my favorite part says, um, Pittsburgh has the most bridges uh, in any city in America or the world. And then there's a long pause. And then it, he goes, except for Venice. And then it just goes to the next part. <laughs> I just have never seen a more lukewarm endorsement of their own city. Shout out Pittsburgh. Wow. I'd like to give my nipples to Dr. Joan Cusack in Pittsburgh. Okay, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Wow. Uh, well, well, Maya, Maya thank, thank you, you so much so for much. joining us. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was delightful. Oh my gosh. I, this was incredible. Y'all are incredible. Come back for Dear Evan Hansen. Oh my God. Yeah. Or something else. Or anything you or want. Or something else. <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah. I will listen. I I will do so much with y'all. This. Yeah. yeah y'all are fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, where can people follow you on social media? Check out your work plug your book if you'd yeah. like yes i would love to uh folks can find me at maya williams poet.com m-a-y-a williams poet.com i'm on instagram and twitter mdub16 e-m-m-d-u-b-b-1-6 i have a poetry collection called judas and suicide uh it is about how responding to religious related trauma and suicidality uh, there are different poems in the book that respond to different Bible verses where a completed suicide and attempted suicide or suicidal ideation takes place. Um, the book also talks about how often we use carceral language when discussing our mental health or suicidality, um, talks about mm -hmm. uh, healing from sexual violence. Um, mm -hmm. And it also involves some poems about how suicide is portrayed in uh, film and TV. Uh, I write a lot of essays about um, me mental health and and suicide and in an entertainment media mm -hmm. you can buy it via game over books or at your local independent bookstore and they will get it for you and and, and again wanting to do perks because again i was a, it's a for, for, formative movie for me when it came to representation of suicidality especially when it comes to the scene where where charlie goes like he just tell me how to make it stop and that still mm -hmm. resonating with me years later because it's like nah it, it doesn't stop bro mental, this mental health shit is non-linear and you mm -hmm. gonna learn um and like and also the book does a better job of talking about Char uh, charlie's catholic upbringing um as he's trying to navigate uh, uh, uh -huh. trying to navigate sex and um and, and mental health and like uh, mary elizabeth's uh, journey with buddhism is talked a little bit more even though not as well as charlie navigating catholicism because sure. men go figure uh, like <laughs> uh so so i do wish that the movie had gave more of an opportunity to explore religion more uh that wasn't just Mary Elizabeth not knowing how Ash Wednesday works. <laughs> right. I wasn't sure if she just thought he had a smudge on his right, head or exactly. if she's just like, religious anarchy, don't follow. Mary like, Elizabeth, she was like, oh my God. She's doing her best, <laughs> but she's just like so much. <sighs> um, well, and, and, oh, ooh, sorry. No, go ahead. 
I did a video podcast series with my friend Mia Stewart Willis called Dying Laughing, where we where we've talked about the representation of suicidality in like television shows and movies and and music. Uh, we have we have two more episodes coming out, and then we're then we're closing it. Um, but yeah, that's a project I'm very proud of. Awesome. Amazing. Yes, check all of that out, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bechtelcast. You can subscribe to our Patreon, aka, AKA. Matreon, <laughs> where we cover two movies a month, or we do two episodes a month, uh, because earlier this month, we explained the WGA strike, and we also have an episode on Newsies coming out, because it's Junian. Junian. <laughs> Get it in your head. Get it through your head. It's really brilliant wordplay. So it might not make sense at smart. first, but... No, it's great. <laughs> but that can be found at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. $5 a month. Those two bonus episodes every month, plus access to the entire back catalog. It's true. You can also go to tpublic.com slash cast for all your merchandising needs. And with that, my friends, let's get into the truck and and um, <laughs> to, wait, wait, wait. Pittsburgh Hereditary. To infinity and beyond. <laughs> That's definitely what Percy Jackson said in the movie. <laughs> Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> give yourself a delicious escape from the afternoon with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.